welcome to the Dr. Drew Podcast. Uh, yeah, support those that support us, blah, blah, blah. You know my, my spiel here. Um, and also do, by the way, check out at drdrew.com, check out the opium series. Uh, the opium, give the history of opiates in, in the world and in this country. And we have really cool interviews with very important players in the history and people who have been a part of things like developing methadone or all the kind of major players historically have been involved in this opiate crisis uh, or opiate history or people are expert in that opiate history. We interview. Check it out. We put it out as a weekly infusion all at drdrew.com. Right now, Brandon Novak, former professional skateboarder. His book is Dream Seller, an Addiction Memoir. New book, which is The Shocking True Addiction Stories of a Counterculture Icon, the Brandon Novak Chronicles. Fantastic. Uh, Brandon is the – I'm going to get your title right, Banyan. You are the global spokesperson for Banyan Treatment Center. Banyan, B-A-N-Y-A-N. You can uh, find out more by following him at Twitter, at Brandon underscore Novak. Or does Banyan have a website, Brandon? Um, they do, BanyanTreatmentCenter.com, Brandon I guess. You can find out more about me at BrandonNovak.com or Instagram, Brandon.Novak. So let's, let's just tell your story real quick when yeah. you got sober and stuff. Well, you know, what I've come to realize is that the disease of addiction does not discriminate. From mm-hmm. Yale or jail, the White House or the outhouse, the results are all the same. One out of five people will be affected, mm-hmm. right? So to say that, I say this. My mother's a nuclear physicist on the board of Mercy Hospital, 53 years of gainful employment, second longest employer in Mercy Hospital hospital history. My brother today uh, currently resides as an attorney in the White House practicing pensions and benefits. My father dies a, di- a direct result of the disease of addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, ultimately, I live with that after school special, that cautionary tale of what not to do, what not to become. I actually excelled at everything that I did because I was not going to become that man. Not become your father. Yeah. yeah. Like and, I, and yet you got his genes. Literally, yeah. I believe I was genetically predisposed. Uh, um, you have to have been. Yeah. That it, my mother, brother, sister, they can take it or leave it. I'm the only one by my father. Right, my my father. Well, it's, it's father. when you have one parent, well, one or both with the disease, it's fifty percent per child that you're going to get the disease. So it's usually two have it, one don't, or one has it, two don't. Okay, in a, in a group of three. Yeah, that makes complete so, sense. Yeah. So I, I, you know, from a very young age, I saw that psychic change take place in my father. My father was a very lovely, fun-loving gentleman when he was sober. And at two thirty, when the keys would hit that lock and he would come home from the bar, we shook like leaves because we had no idea that whole Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde scenario. And that's was that theoretically was about an alcoholic. Literally, yeah. 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 That's it's yeah. it's a beautiful thing. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> so so you know, from that I, I I was the first skateboarder ever in the world to be endorsed by Gatorade at the age of fourteen. By were, the way, alcoholics are extreme um thrill seekers. Yeah. And it, they're and survivors in extreme adversity, but they seek the thrill. Yeah. It, it, unusually. It paired well with my lifestyle. Right. Your, life, so, your genetics, your biology. Exactly. Yeah. So so like from a very young age, a skill that I possess that also transcended into my drinking and drugging career, which you just hit on, is that despite any and all adverse consequences that came my way, I did what I had to do to get what I wanted to get. Mm-hmm. Right, whether it was fucking skateboarding or drugs, because reality is that at a very young age, what skateboarding did for me then, later on down the line, drugs and alcohol took the place of. Perfect. Right, you give me yeah. a skateboard at the age of seven and put me in the room with the prettiest models in the world, I- I'll think that not only were they waiting for me, they're dying to marry me. <laughs> right, and then later on, the heroin does the same fucking thing to these brain receptors of mine. That's right. <laughs> it's 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 fucking genius. I, and I and, and then though, it leaves you. You know, flat. Absolutely. Yeah. I got to that point in a, and I love these conversations. I get like high on these conversations. But 
to kind of go back to my story without getting too far off task, uh, I, I, I live with that after school special of what I was not going to do, not become. I, I, I strongly dislike my man, my father, and I hated drugs and alcohol even more because I saw what it made him do to me, to my mother, to my brother. He was an sister. alcoholic, right? Big time. Crack addict. Oh, crack and alcohol. Wow. Ne- never held a job a day in his life. Taught oh me one thing in life, if and when I go to prison, how to conduct myself. Oh, boy. You know, he, and, and it became my father. He was mm. a real ladies' man. He had the gift to gab. Everybody loved him, but God forbid you asked his family members how they felt about him. Sure. You know, he was the life of the party. Here comes Rome, and I became that man. Yeah. You know, um, so but you had to outdo him. I did, and I did. Well, in a weird roundabout way, because ultimately he died from his disease. Mm. Uh, God saw fit to remove me from my disease. Mm. Um, but so I, I excelled at everything that I did because I was not going to become him. I was, I was never going to become him, and I was definitely never going to become a drug addict or alcoholic. Yeah. Fuck that and fuck those people is how I looked at it. Yeah. And, and, and I was so internally unique that... That, that, yes, that works for you, but you don't. You, you haven't seen what I've seen. You haven't experienced what I've experienced. You haven't felt what I felt. So I'm going to guess you started with pot because yeah. that was a, that's a special drug and that's I, not I, addictive. Yeah. in quotes. And I stole it from my father because uh, he grew it and sold it in perfect. abundance. Perfect. Um, and that's cool. And and the thing How was, how did you reconcile that I'm not going to get addicted to anything when the pot became important to you? Well, because I, at that point in time, I, I was the first skateboarder in the world ever to be endorsed by Gatorade. So in other words, you weren't addicted. You were just smoking a lot of pot. Yes, and yeah. I was successful. Yeah. at a young age. Right, so to that addicts, point. addicts can't be successful. No. I yeah. mean, they were flying me to Chicago to the Quake Roads building where they made Gatorade at the time. They would put me on one treadmill, Michael Jordan on the treadmill directly next to me, put these wires in our noses and down our throats and give us each Gatorade to see the effects that it has on different sports players. Right? At 15, I'm touring the world with Tony Hawk. I'm designing my pro model for Powell Peralta. I have a private tutor that goes with. So you're going to tell me that, like, uh, I'm a drug addict. Drug addicts don't do what I'm doing. <laughs> they don't have these fucking <laughs> opportunities that I have. Right. Um... And the reality is, is I'm not that guy. My story is my story. You know, I, I would come in and I would save face for a lot of years because God forbid you thought I was weird. You thought I was a failure. You, you thought I was a loser. How could anybody think that? No, I can't have that. So what happens is I would come in and I would save my face. And, and the, the only direct form of change that happens in my life comes as a result of pain. Sure. Right, I don't change when shit's unmanageable. I change when shit is unbearable. Mm. And that window of opportunity of change is about the same size as ten dollars. Well, somehow you got from pot to other stuff. Yeah. So, so, so usually this, it's pot to stimulants. Yeah. So, so, but my story is like, I, I, there's really no direct moment in my life where I had whatever it was, and I said I had arrived. Mm. Right. Less I suffered from traumatic experiences. Yes, I had low self esteem. What were the traumas? But my father, I, I watched him cut my mother's throat at the age of seven. Oh, my God. Um, at the age of eight, he would take me to the strip joint. When he was in the back conducting business, they would sit me at the bar stool, and the pretty dancing girls would pour shots of ginger ale and Coca-Cola. I would do the shots. The girls would applaud. My father would give me that look of approval. You know, later on down the line, I ended up in those movies, Jackass, TV shows, Viva La Bam. Now, the more outlandish or the more outrageous my antics become, the more in demand I am. The, the higher my ratings go, mm-hmm. the more I'm making. Now I'm doing appearances in nightclubs. They say, Mr. Novak, what would you like in your green room when you're a rider? I'd say, some heroin, some cocaine, some Xanax, and some wine. They'd say, no problem. They would get me those substances. I would take pictures. I would sign autographs. At the end of the night, I would get a check for $10,000. Mm. So I would keep going to these meetings, your fucking 12-step meetings. Oh, you could have meetings while you were using? Fuck yeah. Why? Because I knew that my life was going to end one of two ways. Oh. I was either going to get sober or I was going to die. 
So you were just hoping it would come into you in the meetings. One of the, yeah, you know? <laughs> through osmosis, you know. I would, well, how'd you get to heroin? That, that yeah. didn't tell us that story yet. Well, so that's the thing that when I found my drug, it wasn't like this is it. I had arrived. I wasn't the kid that walked in class twenty minutes late, thinking that everyone was staring at him. Mm. I was a kid that walked in class twenty minutes late, thinking that everyone was waiting for me. Right, right. You know, so I had a bit of self esteem, but who doesn't? But that's addict stuff. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Nothing that was like debilitating. Um, so what happened? How I got into heroin? Essentially, I had taken to selling a lot of marijuana. Um, because what, what addiction did for me, and I'm sure you can relate is, is it relinquished me of the, uh, the responsibility of doing anything that requires me to be honest, reliable, or dependable. Mm-hmm. Right. So now, now I'm smoking herb. Now I'm like eating Xanax, sniff a little bit of blow here and there, but I'm selling a lot of weed too. It, it, I don't have to produce video parts anymore. I don't have to, to go on tours. I don't have to skate at demos. You know, I don't have to do – it just allows me this sense of freedom. I can breathe now. The, the pills did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just really drugs in a sense. Uh-huh. It just it, – it relinquished me of the duty of having to give a fuck. And then and the heroin? The heroin came into play one time. I had sold this guy five pounds of marijuana. He was a bit short on the payment. So he said, hey, I have this hundred bag of dope. I said, that's cool, whatever. And I, I took it and I put it in my sock drawer. Forgot about it for like weeks. And then one night I was leaving to go on Grateful Dead tour. And, and I pulled these socks and I fell out. And, and I sniffed some. And uh, I threw up instantaneously. And I put it back with me and I took it on tour and I didn't touch it for like three more days. And then I did it again. And, you know, I liked it. I immediately loved it. Snorting it. Yeah. 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 So the loving it experience is something very specific about addiction too, right? You love pot. Mm-hmm. Loved heroin, loved Xanax. Yeah, yeah. Don't really know why. It, well, it's the biology, and you love it more than just about anything else. And then I would do, like I said, anything that it took to get it. Yeah, because you loved it. Yeah. I, I had a guy tell me once with a story very similar to yours that he was sitting with a gun. He became suicidal because his white life was out of control, and the usual ended up in the place where they all end up. And uh, he said, "You know, I couldn't kill myself because I couldn't do that to my drugs." <laughs> I love them too much. Yeah, that makes total makes sense, sense to you, right? Abs- I as, get as, it. As a normie, you just go, "What the fuck?" And, yeah, Don't so you, you see what this is doing to yeah, you. Yeah, you love you, you love them too much to either, and it's sort of a distorted thing, like as though the as though the drugs have consciousness that you're going to hurt, or that you're leaving them behind in some way, yeah. or that you're or you're losing them, and you can't lose them by losing yourself. You're too attached to the drugs. That makes complete sense. At the end yeah. of my run, right at, at a 35 years old, I, I was a 35 year old homeless heroin addict. I had now been in 12 inpatient treatment centers. I lost count of outpatients and detoxes. My mother had bought me a plot. People had taken life insurance policies out on me. I just woke up from being on life support for seven days. Um, Went unused. Medevac, four different hospitals, four different states, four different overdoses. I found myself, no, I, I got to that point where prior to that, up to that point in time, it was great. It was all fair and love and war because every time I put a shot of heroin in my arm, that delusional effect was always produced, mm. which would allow me to escape the reality that I, Brandon Novak, had created for myself. Yes, you just leave it behind. Totally. Yeah. Now I'm okay with like standing on the corner letting men blow me for 40 bucks. Mm. That's cool, whatever. Yeah. Put that heroin in me. I'd, but what do I do when I'm a 35-year-old homeless heroin addict, just woke up from being on life support for seven days, my mother had financially sold three homes to pay for me to go to two different mm. treatment centers, had nothing left to give, so she went to God with one prayer, and the prayer consisted of, God, please cure him, please kill him, or please kill me because I can't take it anymore. And I go out every day. I'm buying $180 worth of heroin and cocaine. I cannot put another drop of water on, on that plunger or it will come out, mm-hmm. literally. 
And no matter how much I inject into my arm, that delusional effect is no longer produced, mm. meaning that I can no longer escape the reality that Stop I have working. created for myself. That moment of clarity is now when I'm fucking high or sober. So had something gotten through to you before that? I, I, the the seed have, was planted. You know, by what? By one of the treatment centers or did something? Well, th- there wasn't one specific case that, that I had that we, we used to call it the spiritual experience. We, we used to call it the, the part. Some, some people experience sort of this thing where the party's over. I I, I yeah. think that came into frame with me because it just enough seeps in that it's just like uh. at thirty five years old, yeah. thirty five years old. I'm a homeless heroin addict. Uh, all I own in this world, my mother had just put me out of her house. This is all that I own after being a, a professional skateboarder, a New York Times selling author who's written a book on addiction, been in movies that break box office records. All that I own at thirty five years old is eight scarves, two jackets, three socks. One stick of deodorant, it fits into this bag that doubles as a pillow, mm-hmm. a needle, a spoon, a restraining order that my mother just served me to get the fuck out of her house, and four cigarette butts that I picked up off the ground. Mm. And now I'm at the point where the delusional effect is no longer produced. So you that try to get higher up, and you still see the bag. Yes. Yeah. That jumping off point that it talks about in my book that I live by, yeah. where, where I could no longer live with or without it. Mm-hmm. God damn it, that was a fucking blessing, and I did not see it at the time. And you, and you probably hated it. Oh, yeah. I, I was the kind of alcoholic at that point. I wanted to kill myself on yeah. a daily basis, yeah. but I didn't want to hurt myself in the process. <laughs> I was horrible at suicide because I kept fucking waking up. Let me take a quick call here from Julian. Julian, you want to ask a question? Yeah, hi, Dr. Drew. What's up? Um, so I had a, I'd been listening to, um, I think, episode 350 with uh, Dan Siegel. Mm. And I started doing his, um, his Wheel of Awareness meditation. Uh, I've been meditating a little bit for about two years. but And I'd gotten to that kind of like um, floating or somewhat numb uh, experience once or twice. Uh, first time then when I took like a citalopram right before I did it the first time. But this one happened really quickly. It's like I got to that, that much quicker by doing this visualization technique and especially the fourth sector there with the relation to, um, to other people in the world. Um, and I was wondering, so it seems very effective. And I was wondering how, what your thoughts would be on it when it came to addiction. Um, I'm, trying to learn a lot about the brain uh, right now in terms of the that would be system, yeah that would be that that. you're in a, you're talking about something you know an addict brain is a very special very sick brain uh, so let's let me get Brandon's opinion on this first so where would meditation essentially come into play would it when you were that heroin addict out on the street would that have been a yeah, utility that was a far cry <laughs> from like any sense it, of it, normality it's impossible no it's impossible. my brain never fucking stopped yeah so you would you could some addicts do use a lot of meditation and mindfulness and these sorts of things you're talking about julian but usually months and months and months and months into the treatment uh there was uh what's the guy's name you may have known him out here in southern california did a buddhist had a buddhist recovery program oh shoot I'm not going to remember, but Gary, maybe you could look it up. It's a Buddhist recovery program. It's not not around anymore, but he he started including some of these kinds of things very early in recovery. And if you have a lot of people around you that are practicing a certain thing, it's helpful. But if you're an addict like Brandon, you're not going to sit still for that. No, I spent a lot of money to try to sit still. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, tell me more about that moment of clarity. Um, you know, I got to this point where I could no longer live with or without. But, but I, but it seems like the clarity came. Before that, somehow, like there was something got in. Well, 
Let me ask this. Yeah. Were there new relationships around that time? And I don't mean romantic relationships. I no. mean, were you, were you, were there therapeutic relationships? Were there new friends that were different than your old friends? Is or? this when I walked into that God willing last treatment center or before? Well, right? I'm wondering before you had that experience of injecting and not getting, mm-hmm. getting what you wanted from mm-hmm. it. Was there some shift that had happened? It, things had got extremely worse for me, right? Like with, they, your, with your mom and stuff. Yeah, yeah. like I, I literally had now taken to sleeping in my mother's bedroom. I put her out. Uh, she's sleeping on the couch of her, mm. of her on her sofa. Maybe house. the end of her codependency is what this was. Yeah, because if she's serving you a, a, a restraining order, eh, someone something got through to her. Maybe. Yeah, that was the woman who always never said no. She was always there for me. You know, and and it's she, good. <laughs> I can't no, and I exactly. She was literally loving me to death, <gasps> and uh, and I, I just I got to the point where I was a thirty five year old homeless heroin addict, and and I wasn't okay with living that way anymore. And I knew that like there was a way up and out of my position, provided I get the fuck out of my way, because I'm now been in thirteen inpatient treatment centers, lost kind of outpatients and detoxes. I, I I get the jargon, I I know enough about it, but I know that I haven't applied myself to it at fucking all. Therefore, I'm not seeing any results. The Buddhist thing I was talking about is refuge recovery. Yes, no, yeah. Noah Levine, Noah yeah. Levine, mm-hmm. uh, still available out there. I guess it's been re-resurrected. But yeah. he's a great. He got a book. I think it's called Refuge Recovery. It's a very good book. Uh, yeah. See, so did you ever do refuge? No, I have not. But I'm a big fan of anything. I yeah. debated it for a lot of years, and I shot heroin for a lot of years. Debated? Yeah, like I would debate the right way of going about oh. things or the wrong way. Right. The reality is, is if this thing is not a black and white, one size fits all. No. If that were the case, I would have got it at my first treatment center uh-huh. at seventeen. Uh-huh. I didn't get it till my thirteenth at thirty five. And and you know, Bob Forrest, my friend and the guy treatment professional, I worked with for decades. He was treated like twenty four times, mm-hmm. and he he does not feel that any one of them was a waste of time. No, that each one of them he got something out of, just got him closer to my my very first one that I went into with a complete closed mind and closed heart, comparing out, proving a point why I wasn't those people, nor will I ever be. Was not buying what they were selling, not drinking their Kool Aid. I go in there, proving a point to my mother and my girlfriend why I'm not those fucking nut jobs. Merely overreaction at best. Call me to bad time on a bad way in a bad day. Yeah. I go in there. I'm 17 years old. Uh, first treatment center ever in Baltimore City. They put me in this big cafeteria. The cafeteria is completely empty. I got these big interrogation style lights shining on me. I'm ill as a research monkey. I'm withdrawn from lack of heroin, for better words. Mm. And, and out of nowhere, this older black gentleman appears out of nowhere. And he walks up to me and he said, white boy, what are you doing here? I said, heroin. He said, how old are you? At 17, he said, do yourself a favor and don't turn 18 in a place like this. And as quick as he came, he left. He nor I had no idea the significance of this conversation was ever going to have on my life. Mind you, I'm comparing out, proving a point why I don't belong. Uh. You know what I could tell you about that gentleman? I could tell you where the four teeth were placed in his mouth because at the time I had all mine. Uh. He's black. I'm white. He's 70 to 75. I'm 17. He smokes crack. My delusional alcoholic mind, the one that lies to me, my own voice that makes me believe the unbelievable tells me I successfully do heroin. He's homeless. I live with my mother and my girlfriend. God bless that man. I'm so grateful he found the answer for what he's in search of. He's, I, he's now sober, or he was sober. No, he was in the rehab. He was yeah. sober in the yeah. rehab. Yeah. But but what I can't tell you about that facility, my first facility, is my, my therapist's name, that relapse prevention packet they're shoving down my throat, or the healthier, unhealthy bonds they're trying to instill in me. Because if I could tell you those things, that means I can relate to being one of you people and I want no part. Yeah. I leave that treatment center, disease untreated, no defense against me in the first one. He was right. I did not turn 18 in a place like that. But I turned 19, 20, 22, 23, 24, 26, 27, 28, 32, 33, 34, 35 in a jail or a treatment center. And every year I'd say, 
sit on whatever bunk of whatever cell of whatever jail I happen to be in or whatever bed or whatever treatment center I happen to be in and think back to that older gentleman and say, maybe if me, myself, Brandon Novak would have listened to that man with an open mind and open heart, I would not continuously find myself in this situation year after. Meaning that it was fully self-induced, mm-hmm. right? Because what I learned after doing a lot of internal work on myself is that the common denominator in my problem is me. Mm-hmm. There is no their part. I'm the problem. The fucking drink is the solution. Take the solution away. I'm left with me. I'm like a stranger in my own skin trying to figure out who the fuck let me in and why. But I I believe that all that's true, but that you can't see that until you see yourself through a new pair of glasses. Very true. Which is is the first glimpse of it was that guy. And I had no idea that 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 was taking place. Yeah. And so tell me where else that's happened for you. Uh, uh, so I go to that 13th treatment center, right, and, 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 and a series of events had taken place where at this point I'm, I'm, I'm homeless. I have that clothes on my back. Uh, I have these at once, point in time, nice dress slacks if you overlook the cigarette holes. Uh, I don't wear underwear. Uh, my shirt, I have this button-up shirt on and, and, uh, and I have these shoes on with one shoestring because I lost a shoestring along the way. And I, I, I tried to cop some dope before I went to that treatment center. Of course. A whole bunch of things happened, but I'll get to the point. And when I went to buy the dope, they saw fit to rob me as opposed to serve me. So when they robbed me, they ripped my front and my back pockets completely out. Now my dick and my ass are completely exposed. They ripped my shirt open. The only button that stays button is this very top button. And I got these shoes on one shoestring. And, and no offense here, but I'm like looking like a gay East L.A. Cholo gang banger, right? I got no under. I'm just, I'm a fucking mess. And I get into this 13th inpatient treatment center, this 19-year-old text in there, and he said, Mr. Novak, you're back. And I said, aren't you a fucking genius? You don't miss anything. He said, I'm sorry, your clothes are not rehab-oriented. You need some underwear. You need some sweatpants. You need some slides. And the fact of the matter was, I never prayed for such simple articles of clothing in my life, but my disease does not allow me to own shit like that. He said, come downstairs to the donations room of this Catholic Charities Rehab. I'm down there. All these successful accolades that I've achieved throughout my career. I'm now a 35-year-old heroin addict standing in the basement of the Catholic Charities Rehab as this 19-year-old tech thumbs through these boxes looking for a pair of second, third, tenth hand used underwear and I'm praying to God that he finds them. He doesn't find them, but what he finds is a pair of size 40 women's sweatpants with no drawstring, a woman's tank top, and a pair of size 13 Jesus sandals. Something very imperative happened in the basement of that Catholic Charities Treatment Center that I had been to four previous times. Humility? Humility and, and and, and, and the God of my understanding showed up in a form of gift of desperation, right? The change had taken place because the pain became great enough. And all of a sudden now I've met the God of my understanding straight through the gift of desperation. So willingness. And the willingness. In. Exactly. I had never experienced a sense of willingness. I had never been so excited to get these fucking bottomless. So and was there a surrender? Yeah. It, it was. A so, surrender come later. No, it was in there. Yeah. Because I finally came to the realization that – I possessed this job my whole life, and this job consisted of knowing everything, right? Therefore, when you tell me what I need to do, I tell you I need to fuck off because I'm an alcoholic. And what that means is I'm defiant by nature. I hate authority, and I will not conform unless it becomes my idea. Tell me what I need to do. I tell you I need to fuck off. (laughs) Hey, this is Dr. Drew. And if you're like me, the list of books you want to read or those people suggest you read is just growing every day. It expands. You simply don't have time to read them all. Well, Blinkist has solved this problem problem. Blinkist is the only app that takes thousands of the best-selling nonfiction books and distills them down to their most impactful elements so you can read or listen to them in under 15 minutes. Oh my God, this is a godsend. You'll expand your knowledge and learn more in 15 minutes than you can by almost any other means. I listen to it while I'm driving. I listen to Blinkist when I'm working out. The library is massive from timeless classics like Think and Grow Rich to the current bestsellers like Fire and Fury. 
88% of financially successful people read at least 30 minutes a day. And now with Blinkist, you can do it orally. And think about this. You can get the key learnings from the top four books you've been putting off reading in the time it will take you to finish a podcast. That's right. I'm not talking about listening to audiobooks at three times normal speed. It is collated to the important elements. This is Blinkist. Check out Blinkist right now. We have a special offer for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash Drew and you start a seven-day trial for free. My God, that's seven days you could have read 21 books easily. That is Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash Drew, and start a free seven-day trial. Come on now, Blinkist.com slash Drew. And while you're at it, check out Get Smart by Brian Tracy. Well, maybe it's time to buy a car, and you're familiar with terms like MSRP. You don't know what that means. You don't know what invoice, list price, dealer price. It is meant to confuse you. It confuses everyone. Now, if you're ready for the actual price, we now have True Price from True Car. You'll know exactly what you'll pay for the car you want, including fees and accessories, before you even get to the dealership. And True Car dealers will show you the true price on cars like the one you want, all from the comfort of your home. You know True Price is a great price because True Car shows you what other people's paid for the same car you want. And the True Car certified dealers know this, so they set their true price competitively. They want to win your business. And once you learn about that car, learn about the price paid in your area, Lock in that true price. You've locked in the price for an actual vehicle on a True Car certified dealer's lot. So when you're ready to buy new or used cars, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. Well, let's talk about CBD. It's everywhere today, and it's a topic that I get asked about a lot. Bottom line, although there are way more claims than scientific clinical evidence right now, many people are using it and reporting great results. It's encouraging. I want to first define exactly what I'm talking about here. CBD, or cannabidiol, is an extract from hemp. And while you might associate it with marijuana, CBD is a non-rewarding component of hemp. It's responsible for the calming or relaxing effects many people experience, not the high. Now about the products. There are a ton on the market today. For getting the vast array of reported health benefits, it's important to be aware of what you're buying. I recently was introduced to a company called Select CBD, an Oregon-based company that focuses on high-quality ingredients and manufacturing standards, not hype. Their CBD-based products are available in a wide range of formulations and flavors, each of which is clearly described so you can make an informed decision without all the promises that sound too good to be true and usually are. Like I said, reported benefits of CBD, anecdotally, very compelling. I'm excited to see how things develop on the clinical and science side as we catch up with this booming industry. So if you're ready to try CBD, I encourage you to check out Select CBD. And again, to learn more, go to drdrew.com slash select. And of course, my website, drdrew.com slash select, S-E-L-E-C-T. And for a limited time, you can save 25% at checkout with the code DRDREW. There's another weird thing about being an alcoholic addict is you you experience anybody trying to help you as trying to control you. Yes. <laughs> or thing dictate. For, yeah, right. If somebody who's trying to help, it's the weirdest position to be in because you're like, no, I don't really give a f- – I mean, I yeah. give a fuck, but, but no. do, do what you need to do. <laughs> I, I'm trying to help. You're hindering my plan here. <laughs> so so now I'm in the basement of that treatment center and I always possess this job that consisted of knowing everything. And what I came to the realization – and this was game-changing. I did not see it at the time. Didn't see it till months after I did this internal work. Uh, I came to the realization that, that what I learned in that basement of that treatment center, that I know that I don't fucking know. And that my very best thinking gets me here time after time after time. Paired with the willingness that I've just experienced by meeting the God of my understanding through the form of gift of desperation, pain being great enough. Right. Fuck yeah. Tell me what to do. I'm ready. Right. So here's what screws people up is that, and codependence especially, is that 
they've heard you hear those things a hundred times so in many. treatment. So many. And why didn't you get it before? Why didn't you understand? They told you that. Why they didn't you get it? it on your hand. Yeah. Why didn't you get it? Yeah. And then the whole process of so-called getting it, mm-hmm. uh, which is people that work in persuasion and change and motivation, all this stuff sort of think about these things finally these days. But it is a very – it's not cognitive. And that's why it feels like it comes from outside. Yeah. In. Yeah. That's the God part. It, it, it feels I, like it's stepped in from somewhere. I, the reality is, is there's no human power on this world, in this earth, that can get me sober or keep me sober. I was doomed until I had that spiritual experience. I had no dog in this fight. And I did not understand it. And obviously, when I came in, I was not like a, a God-searching fellow, you know, looking for that experience. So the last thing. I just wanted to make my life better. That's all I wanted. Well, that's, that's a start. <laughs> it, uh, and, and did you were you ever on methadone or suboxone or replacement therapies? Did you yeah, fail, fail all that stuff. Fail all yeah. miserably. Methadone, ironically enough, I was scared of. You know, I had no problem becoming a human pincushion, injecting speed balls into well, my you neck. You saw how impossible it was to get off methadone. Yes, that was that was a sentence. Yeah, literally, you're on that. Oh <laughs> God, I, and I didn't want to be bound that yeah. much. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, methadone's a rough one. But it does work for some people. You know, it does. That, that's the point. For is some, but but to get the kind of recovery you have had, you can't do it on replacement therapy, can you? No, no. I have to be a hundred percent abstinent based. Yeah. There is no substitution for an alcohol. So, so such how as do, what do we do with this? It's, I mean, it, uh, abstinence not not for everybody. Nope, not right? at all. And anybody looking at you in your throes of your disease would have said, "Oh no, no, this this kid's never going to be abstinent. No way. No, no. Right. So how do we do that? How do we just select the right people for the right treatment? Do you have any ideas about that? Like who should get suboxone? Who should get methadone? Who should we continue to struggle with, no matter how dangerous it gets? Sure. What yeah. what I'm a big fan of and I'm a proponent of is is like I said, I'm defined by nature. I hate authority. When I conform, this becomes my idea. All of a sudden, when it becomes my idea, I excel at a rapid fucking pace, and I can be a billboard for any treatment center in the world, right? right? Model client. Right. Um, so what I do, and, and the facility Banyan that I work for, and, and the big thing I love about this, is we have multiple avenues towards sobriety, right? right. Multiple so roads, meet the, multiple meet the patient where they are. Exactly. But, but and I, we let it, you pick. You pick it. What would you have picked, though, back when you were really in it? It depends on where I was at, but yeah. regardless, if you impressed something upon me that I didn't want, that was a destined for failure anyways. Yeah. I'm yeah. Gonna, because I'm going to prove to you why you're fucking wrong. Yeah. I, I don't know what to do with that yet. I, I wish I understood better. That's my opinion. Don't, no, don't your, listen, your opinion is not wrong. It's I, I don't know yet how we pick people for particular treatments. And, and if we get it wrong, it, it puts people down a certain path. I you know? agree. And, and uh, I wasn't a big, you know, again, I, was, I used to debate a lot and I used to shoot heroin a lot. So <laughs> at the end of my road, what I've learned is that like – that, that old stupid saying, and I'm a cat fanatic, but I hate the saying, there's more than one way to skin a cat. Mm. Um, with, with, with it not being an epidemic, being a pandemic, mm-hmm. you know, the number is steadily inclining. It's not declining. What's it, like 100 and it, it, a it, with, day You'll, you'll see the, well, the deaths are still up, but the, but the number of addicts are starting to turn. So, But the thing is, it's like I w- if you want methadone, if you want Suboxone, you want Subutexion, yeah. implant, by all means, do it. Do I agree with it? For me, absolutely not. But what that will do, at least at the very least, is, is if you decide you want to come off methadone one day, you'll at least be alive long enough to transition well, off right, of it. Right. That's exactly been my point. It's like we got to keep you alive reduction. long enough. We got to keep you alive long enough to the possibility of that's recovery. it. And that's but even that's hard. It's really hard. It's I, I get because they're you know thinking about your case. I think everyone on Earth would have gone, "No, get that kid on more Suboxone." <laughs> 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 Sedate him. Yeah, Fuck. right. I mean, Do think the about it. A favor. Think about it. You had no 
No resources for recovery. None. Nothing. None. That's the end of my road. My very best thinking when I went to this, and yes, that's often what it takes to get recovery. That was it. But a lot that, of people die that way too. It's and it's it's a, such a shame, you know. And now what I do is I live my life and I and I try to sell my recovery in a form of attraction rather than promotion. Of course, because now obviously, like I'm in the field, I help people and and I put my number out there. And when people call me, they say, Novak, if you can get clean, there's no reason why I can't. Can you help me? Do you want to put your number out there? Please. Please do. 610-546-2680. 610-546-2680. Or follow him on Twitter, Brandon underscore Novak, N-O-V-A-K. Um, do or BrandonNovak.com. Any... That encapsulates okay, everything. BrandonNovak.com. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Do you have any observations or concerns about millennials these days that are addicts? Because they've been really a rough group. I, I don't – you don't, I don't really know enough to give to weigh my opinion. You see it the same as any other addiction. Yeah, it's like I, I don't I don't know enough about that species. <laughs> Let's put it that way. What kind of stuff are you mostly interacting with? Um, I'm interacting with the people that are in the gutter with a needle mm-hmm. in their arm or their neck, you know, and and that can't see a way up and out of their position, right? That, and I always say to them. I get it. I've sat where you sit. I've thought how you think. I've thought how you feel. It makes sense to me why you choose to put another bag into your arm as opposed to accept my help for a better way of life. Yeah. You know, that that's the people that I'm good with. Yeah. I, I don't do well with the business to business shit. Yeah. Uh, or the, or the, if somebody's functioning well but no, taking too many pills. No. I, I'm yeah. good at the fucking end of the road. That's when I excel. Yeah, I excel. Yeah. <laughs> um, because what I've learned to understand and experience is that I believe in miracles um, and, and that I know for certain that the, the disease of addiction is not a death sentence. Your history doesn't have to dictate your future. As long as you're fucking breathing, it's never too late. We just have to fucking – you know, what I do is, is I'm, like a, I'm like a used car salesman. You're struggling with addiction and I, I'm wrestling with you to grasp the concept that, that I'm trying to give you this brand new car with zero miles right out of the factory and you're debating with me why that's not a good idea. Any any thoughts about how to deal with so many of the people that are on the streets, the homeless thing? Uh, it's it just there's so many of them, and they're just not being they're just being allowed to suffer and, and it's die. The, it, it's it's the worst. Uh, yeah, and it, I, I, homeless is a kind of a broad a broad statement, but for but the, the ones that are chronically homeless with heroin addiction, and, yeah, and meth addiction, unfortunately, is in there with it usually. Well, as, as far as just the the addiction piece, I want to touch on first how yeah. how I've learned to combat against that because people want the the solution to this, right? Talking about the homeless foot guys, yeah, yeah, it's like. What do we do? We, 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 we get one. I, I, I get one. I help that one. I, I take them through the work that is entailed to like get sober, stay sober. That one takes his teachings to another one, two into four, four into eight, eight into 16. Before you know it, the world's starting to change with one person at a time. Are, are you doing that in Los Angeles? Are you doing it? No, not in LA. I live in Philadelphia. Oh, you're doing it there. So absolutely. Yeah. I do it in Philadelphia. And basically wherever I'm at, I do the best that I can with what I can, mm-hmm. with whom I can. Yeah, we, I don't know what we do in Los Angeles. There's tens of I, it's thousands. Insa- of it's so there. sad. And yeah, I, I mean, it makes I stay, me crazy. I, stay, I, I, don't go, I can't go to bed at night thinking about it. I stay right in Hollywood in a, in a, in a, a decent, ho- nice hotel. And, and, see, and it's, I, it's everywhere. And you see, they're all I'm addicts, like, right? Yeah. You see, I see it. You see it. Oh, God. Yeah, pretending that these are just people down on their luck. You know, they got lost no, their job and they can't, can't afford an apartment. That's not what it is. No, no. This is full-on, real-deal addiction stuff. I wish I had a solution to that, to that as do you and, and, and a – how do you feel about uh, safe injection sites and even giving people heroin? Major know? fan. Yeah, me too. Major fan. Yeah. Uh, again, harm reduction. Yeah. Uh, they just 
I think you know better than I. People get weird about it. They're like, you would give them heroin? <laughs> Why is it different than methadone or suboxone? And they're going to get it regardless. It's just another. It's just another version of trying to enroll them in some sanity to get them to listen and motivate and get out of here. Because what we're doing right now is not working. No. Or we would not be in the position we're in. And by the way, if harm reduction is to reduce the behaviors associated with crime and yes. medical problems, we should be giving them safe injection sites and giving them the heroin. And I promise you, the people that are in those safe injection sites don't really want to be in those sites. Right? Well, they, especially now with people like you going around going, hey, man, come with me, man. Come on. Come on. You really want to do this? That's right. Exactly. But the deal is, is like, okay, you give them that safe injection site. Now it's it's properly being monitored. Yeah. You have doctors. You have sterile needles, sterile yep. water, sterile cookers. No, cr- no crime. Yeah. Uh, disease lowered. Yeah. And and then what happened? Like I said, nine out of ten of them, I don't believe want to be there anyways. They right. just don't see a way past the bag, bottle, or pill. So they're well, and, in there. And as soon as the they don't want to be there at certain times during the day. <laughs> you, yeah. you know what I mean? <laughs> Give them 10 bucks. They love it. <laughs> right. It's right after they hit. Boom. I'm back. I'm That's here. That's I said. That's where I want to be. Right here. That's it, dude. Um, but the thing is, is, is it could be like a direct portal from there to the help. Sure. You know what I mean? You have pamphlets. And, and you have brochures. You, you have, have you, people You have relationships. Exactly. And, and, I, and I really – and so talk a little bit if you can about ah. that, that lack of trust and that uh, – you know, what that is, that disconnect is with addicts and people that try to help them. I was so I, – I, from personal experience, I was so disconnected. I was disassociated. I was disinvolved. Add dis to anything and that's what the fuck I became. Well, it's right. And, and uh, you know, people that now advocate we need to have little play parks for addicts. Like, no, no, no. <laughs> no. You're, you're right. The disconnect is right. But finding your way back to the connection is complicated because the disease is, in, is a barrier. Yeah. The trauma is a barrier. The distrust is a barrier. So many. It, it's vi- and these are intense. And then the disease is saying, "Yeah, yeah, come on in. Just let me keep using." Yep. That I talk about this time, right? And you definitely know this. If you're diagnosed as an addict or an alcoholic, what that equals that disease left untreated equals death, fatal disease, or, or institution or jail. Yeah, or yeah. But ultimately, death. Disease left untreated ultimately. equals death is the end result. But as far as I'm aware of, it's the only fatal disease from which I possess that tells me I don't have a disease on a daily only basis. One, only one I treat that I have to convince people they have. They have. Exactly. It's ridiculous. Diagnose me with HIV. I'm rushing to the hospital to get medication. Cancer. I don't want to die. Air, fatal disease. airlifting with a cancer. And most cancers have better prognosis yes. than your condition. Diagnose me with cancer. I'm going and to And by hospital. the way, the family does the same thing. They're airlifting you in. But like, yeah. a it's like, Ugh. oh, he'll be okay. He'll be okay. Well, let, let him come home with us. He'll yeah, be fine. Exactly. Like, what? It's, it's like, I, yeah. that's more dangerous than if you let his <laughs> cancer go untreated. Yeah. It's a, diagnosed with cancer. I'm rushing to the hospital with chemo. I don't want to die. Yep. Diagnose me, Dr. Drew, as an addict or an alcoholic. I now need a glass of wine or a bag of heroin to figure out what the fuck's wrong with you for diagnosing <laughs> with said disease. Just as fatal as the first two diseases. More. But left to my own devices, I'll believe that voice that lies to me, my own voice, right. makes me believe the unbelievable. I'll leave this interview and I'll go score a whole bunch of Chiba and I know where to do it and the scary thing is it will make complete sense. Well, not only it makes sense, but there's another piece that that I don't know how to get everyone to understand, which is you could have – if we'd gotten you well into your disease here, you could have sat here and, and just told me all kinds of bullshit mm-hmm. and, and who knows what you could have told me Yes, and gone out and done whatever you wanted to do, whatever your mm-hmm. disease told you to do. Yeah. And I would not – personally, I'd be like, yeah, I missed it. I wish I'd, wish I'd realized he was bullshitting quite as much. I knew he was bullshitting because he's using, so he had to be bullshitting. But, but most people go, oh, you lied to me. I can't believe this. <laughs> yeah. I can't believe you lied to me. Yeah. And to me, that's that, like you, it's funny. Yeah, it's, it's because insane. Because they, 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 the addict cannot tell the truth because they don't know the truth. The abnormal becomes the normal. Yes. You become living on that animalistic level. Yep. I always say, how do you know when an addict's you, uh, lying uh, when they're Mouth talking? Moving. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I always saw my job to try to find some kernel of 
connection, something. God bless you. Even if it was to call you out on something that I knew was BS in a way that, like I remember I, one of my favorite stories is a guy that was like crying and got your disease, mm-hmm. full on. And he was m- one of many resuscitations. And now he's like, he's seen the light. He knows he got to get sober. And, and uh, you know, he's crying. He's in pain. He's in pain. I mean, he really knows he's he's sick and he's in pain. And I just go, you are so full of shit. I know what to do with you. He, he stopped. Stopped crying immediately. <laughs> and he went, I know. I don't even know anymore. How did you know that? <laughs> and I thought, I, I, first I thought, oh, my God, he's going to swing at me. Yeah. <laughs> and then, then I thought, well, I don't know. I just know. I just do know. You're full of shit. And you, wow. you, But I can connect with that piece. And he and I were able to work together after that because I connected in a way that huh. was not disconnected. Sure. There's a little connection there. Yeah. Because, you know, what, what I do when I'm working with fellas and I'm taking them through the 12 steps that I do, mm-hmm. um, what I do is I let them share a whole bunch with me. They tell me about their story. Because then when I start taking them in the work and we dig deep in mm-hmm. within, then all of a sudden they start rebuting the the, the deal, you know, rebuttaling that, oh, I'm not that bad. Right, well, right. you told me this yeah. and I have to use it against them, yes, their own words. Well, Breaking down the denial. That's, that's what the it. deal is. <laughs> that's, I, I, that's to, your job. I have to wrap this thing in a really nice box with a beautiful bow and hope that you buy into but it. But it does not happen in an afternoon. No. This is the other thing that people don't get. And uh, I don't know how to get people to understand it's a long process. Oh, my God. It, it, it takes what it takes until it takes. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and even I, then, if once it takes, you have to protect it. You have to and, – and, and somebody in whom it takes is usually motivated to stay in a place that's safe. Yes. Yes. They usually won't fight you on that. And they still could relapse. And they still could relapse. And you know, because of my pain being so great that I I was ready to do whatever it took, Mm. um, I can honestly say, and and knock on wood, my my sobriety coming up on four years has been relatively simple because I was so willing to do whatever it took that, like, and the place that I came from, Anything is a situation now, and it's a dealable situation. It's like, dude, right? Compared to what I've come been through, on. yeah. But, but it is simple because Brandon. Here's what we ask people to do: just do what we tell you. Just That's do, it. Just, just go to some meetings, show up, suit up, yeah. Do the do. That grand revelation that I came to in the basement of that treatment yeah. center, my thirteenth. I know that I don't fucking know, yeah. and my best thing so gets just, me here. Just I can't. You can. Will you show me, please? Yeah. Before it was like, fuck you. I don't want to hear what you have to say. Now, paying great enough, thirteenth treatment center, Doctor Drew. Please show me. Will you please? If you like my show, you're going to love What Now with Jessica Graff on Podcast One. The Big Brother contestant and winner of The Amazing Race joins hubby Cody Nixon as they navigate life after reality TV and parenthood. Check out What Now with Jessica Graff every Tuesday on Podcast One or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Well, Simple Habit is a five-minute meditation app designed to help busy people stress less, achieve more, and live better. One of the things that I perhaps don't emphasize enough is mindfulness and meditation. This takes only five minutes a day. They have meditation guides for specific lifestyles or symptoms. You can browse over 1,000 different topics, create customized playlists. It's perfect for busy folk, easy to track your daily streak or how many, quote, mindful minutes, unquote, you've had in the last month. It's available on iOS, Android, and the web. And I hope everyone knows that meditation should be part of any health behavior. I love using this product. It takes only five minutes, and it helps me do the meditation because that's something I'm prone to leave out of my day, unfortunately. And we have, of course, a free trial offer from Simple Habit. You get it for free for an entire month. Visit simplehabit.com slash D-R-A-W. Again, I want you right now for your health, for your benefit, for your well-being. Simple Habit for free. It's an entire month. Visit simple, S-I-M-P-L-E, habit, H-I-B-I-T, 
facebook.com slash D-R-E-W. Major resolutions, but uh, maybe need some inspiration. We'll start your new idea with a big idea or maybe more by listening to on audiobook. Penguin Random House Audio produces audiobooks that range from self-help and inspiring listens to classic novels to the latest bestsellers. Dare to Lead, written and read by Brene Brown, and hear how to transform creative ideas into bold action. Learn to let go of fear and take risks with Brave Not Perfect, written by Girls Who Code founder Reshma Sajani. Or get a few laughs along with advice with, uh, of course, the Fab Five of Netflix's Queer Eye. Visit randomhouseaudio.com slash self-care for more listening suggestions to keep your New Year's resolution going strong. I listen to audiobooks when I'm driving or when I'm working out. It's uh, it's a whole new world, and we can improve ourselves and expand our knowledge. That's penguinhouseaudio.com slash self-care. Tell me about your mom's evolution. She clearly, something happened at the end there. What, what, did she go to Al-Anon? Did she no, just give up? No, my, she... my family intervened. On her? My, yeah. Oh, okay. My brother, my hotshot attorney brother from the White House, drove down from D.C. And I would leave that bedroom once a day. Every morning at 4.30 a.m., I would open the door and I'd sneak down the stairs, sneak out, and I'd go buy 180 bucks worth of stuff. Um, and she would not walk up those stairs mm. because ignorance was bliss. You don't mm-hmm. know you can't be held accountable. Mm-hmm. She did not want to see what was going on with her mm. loved son. Finally, my brother drove down from D.C., physically made her walk up those stairs. And, and in that room, it looked like a murder scene. There was blood on the ceilings, blood on the walls, needles, cookers, bags, you name it, it's there. And, and, and finally, the reality for what it really was set in. And, and, and with that, she— For her. Yeah, for yeah. her. And, and I, a common theme in my story is that locks stop working, right? And, and I got back from doing what I was doing that day, and I put the key in my mother's lock. It didn't work. Mm-hmm. Now I love my mother. I have no problem making her buy me a plot, sleeping on the sofa because she's in fear. I'm going to burn her house down, and she can make it out the door if she's sleeping in the living room. But God forbid I kick her door in, right? Like that abnormal becoming the normal. Mm-hmm. Like I would, so I gently knock on her door. And my brother and her come to the door, and, and she hands me my bags with all my worldly belongings. Belongings, eight scarves, two jackets, three socks, one stick of deodorant, a needle, a spoon, and four cigarette butts. And 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 with that, she says, I, I can no longer love you to death. You have to go crying uncontrollably. Police officer comes around the corner and serves me the restraining order. Mm. Right there. Mm. It, it all, it, you know, looking back now, this is one of the things that get me off the most about my sobri- or sobriety as a whole. Uh, when, when, when I've been sober, God willing, long enough that I can recognize the synchronicity in life's events that take place that lead me to the here and now. Mm-hmm. You know, with that police officer pulling around the corner just at that time to hand me that restraining order, my brother coming. You know, like so many things could have been off by a minute, mm-hmm. by a second that, that would not allow me to be here with you tonight. Mm-hmm. There is can't a, say there's no higher power. David Chef's book, A Beautiful Boy. Mm-hmm. Have you read that book? I have. It's a movie now. I just saw yes, it. Yes, I haven't seen the movie. It's a, it's a great movie. And uh, but oh boy, is it a, is it a book about? Co- is it a story of codependency? Oh my god! Really? I, didn't, I didn't really I didn't really think about how how intense his codependency was. Like very much like your mom, and uh, like like a stunning story of codependency. And his son was a lot like you. Wow. Yeah, same that same stuff. You know, I'm dealing with. Uh some you know, one of my best friends, right? I'm just saying, mm. my best friend who mm. put me in several treatment centers and, and afforded me the opportunity. To, now he's out. He's, yeah, he. Uh, I, we went and did an intervention on mm. him, and he went to treatment. He's out here in California in treatment, and and uh, and the codependency between him and his mother, mm. and and uh, it is unlike anything I've ever seen. And her today, she's at the Betty Ford Center doing that week long family program. Oh, good. So they have her doing that. He was in a facility out here. He stayed for three days. He left. Left uh, treatment. Yeah. Oh, it's, boy. it's a mess. 
And um, I mean, is it opiates? It's meth, amphetamines, oh, it's cocaine, so Adderall. Meth, they're just so out of their minds. They make just terrible judgments. So dis- that whole that disconnection, mm-hmm. huh? And delusional, unlike anything I've ever seen. Yeah, and, it, and delusions are always with meth. They're always focused on family, friends, neighbors, coworkers, and they're bizarre. And this person is very successful in his own right, so yeah. there hasn't been many repercussions from his actions. Is, is he working in New York? No. Of, I saw a lot of stuff on Wall Street. People no. Just, these guys are very successful, and all of a sudden they're in their apartments alone with the curtains drawn. That's what this guy is there. to an extent. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, unfortunately for him, you know, uh, the social acceptability equals personal recovery. Mm. Trying to fill that internal void with an external solution. Mm. And uh, – Financially, he's okay. You know, from the outside, he's fucking pretty successful. Yeah, but it, 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 until the consequent, like you said, you can't see it until. Yeah. Tell me about the Brandon Novak Chronicles. I'm really proud of this man because I, I travel all over the nation, the world, for that matter, and I speak. And, and and one of the common reoccurring questions is is how do we lift the stigma? How do we lift the stigma? Mm. Depending upon perception, the stigma is lifting. Because the death toll is rising, mm. right? Did you feel stigmatized? I didn't give a fuck about what well, I felt. Well, that's what I find. Most of my patients don't give a fuck. I don't care. And when they get sober, they get sober. It has nothing to do with them feeling stigmatized. Yeah, these are more the for family the, feels stigmatized, exactly. but the addict <laughs> yeah. don't give a shit. These are more like for those advocates, you know, doing the advocacy okay. work and all, all right. that. I, I, I don't mind fighting against stigma, but never bothered my patients. Never Not bothered one of them me. I didn't think twice about it. it. Of course. I don't have time to worry about how disease. I'm looked at. <laughs> Just oh, no. give me another bag. And, and by the way, this idea of a, we can't call it addiction. My, my patients love calling it addiction. That's what it is. It, 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 what, what do you want me to dress it up as? Come on. <laughs> right. Let me call it like a piece of candy or something. But tell me about the Chronicles. So, so it's like the stigma is lifting because the death toll is rising uh, and, and addiction is more of a conversational piece, hence us here right now. Mm. But what I want to do is I make it more of a, of, of a dinner table subject, mm. right? Mm-hmm. I, I, I want like 12-year-olds talking about it. I want – 15-year-olds talking about it, where we can intervene before it actually becomes an issue. Um, and what better way to do it? Hence, these millennials, like we were talking about, the believe the attention span of a person these days is like slim to none, and slim's usually out of town. You know, you have like a five-minute interval. These are funny. <laughs> I went to the VMAs high on blow one year. You did this? Yeah, check it out. This is your story? Yeah. Keystring it? Uh, this last picture, I made the list of Joan Rivers' worst dressed. Uh Held up in a hotel for three days, high on cocaine, oh, and I dude. walked the red carpet in nothing but a keyboard. Literally tape. a keyboard taped to your mid mid yeah. your, to groin. Bam set me up in that outfit. Oh my god. Um that's like an act so you get that picture and then you flip one over and you can see like the present day here and now. <laughs> like what the fuck? Oh my god, that's funny. <laughs> Look at you. So I, I just want to like let people know. How that, did you get so tatted up? So what were you doing there with this covering the veins or something? Nah, just just my thing, man. You're just into it. Yeah, because you weren't that tatted up here at 05. No, yeah. well, that's when Bam had brought me out of Baltimore into Pennsylvania, where he got me. A, he let me be on Viva La Bam, mm. put me in the movies Jackass, started producing a paycheck. Then I could start buying things like tattoos, and then kind of became in the social spot or, or, or the public spotlight. And the so, streets of Baltimore, we didn't talk about that. What's that about? That's my next book. It's finished. It's being proofread as we speak. Uh, it will pick up where Dream Seller left off. Mm. I actually have three more books in the works. Um, that, obviously, is the first ever addiction graphic novel. It's great. Um, you know, and it's just a different approach to let people know, like, uh, the cautionary tale of what can become. 
provided you, you you keep a closed mind and a closed heart, believing that like this could never happen to you. Novak political joke. Yeah, it's like kind of the funnies, if you will. It is funny. It's good. <laughs> it's, well, it's a way to it's a way to just de- declaw it a little bit, defang it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I like that. That's what I'm about, man. Is letting people know that like the disease of addiction is not a death sentence. Isn't it weird how people? Think about it and deal with it. And it's it's so simple, and they make it so That's complicated, it. Isn't, isn't it? But isn't it weird how it's hard? Whether it's the addict or the family, it's so hard for them to get it. It's so crazy. I was talking to a kid today. He finished his residential stint, and and as opposed to going to PHP, he said, "I think I've had enough. I I've did great now." Mm-hmm. And I said, "What you're doing is you're going to outthink yourself right out of sobriety." The way the way I tell him, just you know, as I go. Mm-hmm. Look, first, it's like any other medical illness. First, it's hospital. Mm-hmm. Then it's rehab. It's sort of residential. <laughs> yeah. And then we step you down to a lower dose, just like an antibiotic. Just, Absolutely. You don't go off the antibiotic all no. of a sudden. We taper it down. <laughs> no. And now it's the partial. Yeah. And see if there's any kind of relapse on the lower dose. If uh-huh. there is, we'll put you back up at the higher dose. Exactly. That's all. And that's what I tell him. I said, I, I get it. It makes sense to me why you're doing what you're doing because I've seen me do what you're doing. Of course. But, well, but, also, but there's another piece to it too, which is you know you're talking to his disease. Somehow you knew it. Yes. And that's the part. That's the uncanny part of this thing. You, I know it when I'm talking to the disease. You know Absolutely. it. Absolutely. I can't tell anybody else how to do that. No. It's you can't. Hard. It's that whole knowledge is taught wisdom experience type I get thing. His experience, yeah. Yeah. It's weird, isn't it? How it we is. know that? Ah, I see it a mile away. Well, addicts see better than I do because I, I work with you know on my team all recovering people, and sometimes they nudge me in the back <laughs> if, if I get too <laughs> deep into a conversation sure. where I'm talking to the disease. Yeah, you know, which I can fall in as easily as anybody, likely yeah. as well yeah. here. Yeah. You know, yeah. and and I've well, found myself I've become more gullible honestly these days mm. because I'm not prone to like look for it to be that way. Well, when you're in your disease, you're you're part of the survival in the disease is being able to find drugs and stuff. So you have to see other using people with an, with extreme accuracy immediately. Yeah, yeah and I got to be on. Yeah. It's, it's a lifeline. Yeah, I can't go without that. Mm-hmm. But now you know I'm I'm I'm, I'm sober. Coming up on four years. I'm a productive member of society. Mm-hmm. Tax paying member of society. Wow, about I, that. I, I'm a homeowner. <laughs> wow. I, so right, I have all these things, yeah. and, and which means I don't surround myself with those kind of behaviors or yeah. people that have those. Yeah, you're not you're not thinking. I'm about not that. on guard. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's like, oh, yeah, you lost your wallet. You need 20 bucks. Cool. Here you go. Where <laughs> before it's like, fuck off. Oh, my gosh. Bam Margera did what on your forearm? Ah, oh, yeah. It's a tattoo. <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to. If you really want to get that into just, it. It just seems high. It just <laughs> seems like that's a high tattoo. Right? Absolutely. Okay, got it. Absolutely. Um, so let, let's just wrap it up. by You're speaking for Banyan. Yeah. Can yeah. people find you? Did you go to brandonnovak.com? Yeah, just go to brandonnovak.com. Um, yeah. You gave my number. If, if anyone Again, I'll do it again, 610-546-2608, but brandonnovak.com. If it's it's Ban- yeah. Banyan Treatment Center. I've sent people there and had some good results. It's I, yeah. I believe in Banyan. I, I, I could attach my name to a lot of places, and, and I would not go with the And you've been doing it for a while, right? In. Yeah. I, I've been years, I've so. been contemplating doing some speaking for them myself because why not? I don't care. Let's I mean, fucking team up. We should. We should. It'd why be fun, right? not? Yeah. Let me work on that. Foolish not to. Yeah. Do you know? Um, well, we'll talk about it up there. But, but I, to me, I'm, I'll go speak on behalf of almost anybody if I can carry the message. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like I, that's it. But, I, but it happens to be true that I've sent people to Banyan and have been pleased with the treatment. So. Yeah. I, I mean, we, we, I hate giving that whole used car salesman pitch as mm-hmm. every treatment center does. Mm-hmm. But I honestly, from whole heart, I can say that we believe in the people. Right? We actually genuinely give a fuck. Yeah. 
That's why, hence, you can call me day or night. It, it doesn't matter. And, and, and I'll do my best to help. So um, check out Dream Seller, Addiction Memoir. Check yeah. out the Baltimore, what's it called? Baltimore Stories? Uh, the, the Streets of Baltimore. Streets of Baltimore. That's Baltimore. not out yet. That well, will keep be. an eye out for it. Sure. Now you That's... can get the Brandon Novak Chronicles, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, you and I met each other at that, uh, whatever that television thing was that was supposed to reduce stigma. And and I thought to myself at the time of that, great, 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 but man, this is a bunch of codependents doing their thing. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> right? Yeah. And a lot of money spent on that. And I'm not sure what we accomplished. And I was very concerned by the attorney general, the uh, surgeon general at the time pushing methadone and things. And I, he did not understand addiction, unfortunately. Yeah. I know. Uh, and, and, but I'm not. Not condemning harm avoidance. I'm just trying to figure out who we give it to and when, and what circumstances, what doses. We don't have that perfected yet. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We just don't know yet. Uh, but again, a well-trained team should be able to manage that. And as you, as we said earlier, keep people alive long enough that they can get to transition sobriety. off. Get, get to sobriety. Absolutely. Get, get because as you know, the fentanyl, the car fentanyl. You, you, people, you can always die from using yes, but now it's like so reality. Easy. I had four guys in Baltimore. They split one pill of ten dollar heroin. Mm. Four guys. A pill. A pill. It's a. It's a. It's called scramble in Baltimore City. It's. It's more of a shooter's heroin. It's cut with bonita, quinine. So, so it's a pill that you dissolve. Yeah, no, you you just take the gel cap apart and the the actual heroin in the cap. I see, it's a cap. Put okay, it into it. a you cook it down. Yeah, um, four guys. They left their recovery house. They went in on one pill, one ten dollar pill. They all split it. Four guys go behind the recovery house. They jump the fence. They're under the bush. Mm-hmm. They cut the pill up four ways. Sniff it. Three of them die. Wow. The one just makes it back into the recovery house to tell the other people in the house. That's how the story is to be true. Oh my god. Sniffed it. Four people, one ten dollar pill. It's car fentanyl. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you literally, you know. That's crazy. This thing is worse than the AIDS outbreak. It's worse than it's worse than World War. It's, yeah, yeah, it's incredible. And it started. I, I wrote a whole series about it at doctor.com uh, called Opium History, and we we talk, chronicle all the different opium opiate uh, epidemics we've had in this country. But the last two big ones, one was after the Civil War, and the other was this one, perpetrated by physicians. We did I, it. I, 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 and again, my opinion, I feel like they're worse than the corner boys out there. Well, it's more complicated. But yes. Dreamland is a book by Sam Quinones. We, I'm familiar. I, I, it's I, great. Oh, you got to read it. Really? It really is how it happened. He nailed wow. it. Nailed it. Nailed it. Did I do – we did Sam here, Gary, didn't we? What, uh, do you remember what uh, number interview that was? Just incredible. 337, I think. 337. I think that's right. All right, which, my friend. Podcast1.com slash premium if you right. uh, want to get the back catalog. Yeah. Brandon Novak, I, it's been a long time with ah. trying to struggle to do this, and this is everything it I wanted well it to be. It was well worth the wait. Yes, I could do this for wait. hours with you. We should go take it on the road a little I bit. I would maybe. love to do that. Because it's, it's really important for people to have somebody who's been in it and then explained by a clinician who sort of – Two different perspectives from two different places in the same position, but, ultimately trying to achieve the same goal, which is to get one person to see past yeah. that bag, bottle, or pill. And, and the the, uh, the fun thing about this disease is when people know it and understand it, there's never any disagreement about no, it. It's, no, no. It's crystal clear what this is and how it works. <laughs> yeah. So, you, you, from your matters, so, seem right, excited. So I, I'm into this. Right. So here I am, a you know, physician, all these years of experience. I'm seeing the exact life. same thing as you as yeah. they're using it. And we same have thing. not agreed, disagreed once. No. No. Because it is what it is. And once you see it, you, you understand. And, and the whole knowledge is, is knowledge is taught wasn't experience. Yeah. Wow. All right, my friend. Great this to see you. well worth the wait, Drew. Appreciate it, man. Love you, buddy. Thank you. We'll see you next time. Yes. 
for calling times and topics, follow the show on Twitter at Dr. Drew Podcast. That's D-R-D-R-E-W Podcast. The music from today's episode can be found on the swinging sounds of the Dr. Drew Podcast, now available on iTunes. And while you're there, don't forget to rate the show. The Dr. Drew Podcast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana and Gary Smith. For more information, go to drdrew.com. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew Podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or drdrew.com. Thank you.